Well, let's open up our Bibles and hear the Word of God this morning. Would you open up to John, the Gospel of John, where we've been for a long time. The Gospel of John, and it's great. Chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. Hopefully you have one. If you don't have one, grab one in the pews nearby you. And as we prayed this, and as I thought about this passage this week, the reality is, being a Christian is fantastic. It's great. I mean, have you, have you stopped and think, thought about that this week? Of what a privilege it is to be loved by God Almighty. To be rescued by Jesus. The privilege to love and serve Jesus is amazing. And I am so blessed because I get to, that's what I get to do. <laughs> you guys have afforded me that opportunity to do it in a unique way. To serve you, to help you worship Him. And we get a privilege to be the beneficiaries of the promises of God for His people. Eternal life, where there's no sin. <laughs> just think, just imagine that. Being a Christian is really great. Nobody else gets that promise. And He's so gracious, and He's so gracious in the day to day. He overlooks a multitude of sins. And he shows us grace and he provides for our needs. And as I was talking with Steve this morning, his mercies are new every morning. But you know, one of the things that stinks, <laughs> let's just put the Debbie Downer on right now. One of the things that stinks about being a Christian is when we've been satisfied by Jesus and we see the grace of God working in us and around us. And we want to rejoice. And what happens? And the world around us, even friends, family, neighbors, dismiss us as, well, you'll excuse the expression, will dismiss us as idiots or want to rain on our parade of joy for Jesus or want to silence us. Or as in many cases of the, in the world, and there are storm clouds gathering in this nation where we are ostracized, disowned, abused, or killed because we're Christian. And these are things that are happening every day to the people of God. It's, just, it's, it's reality. <laughs> It's not fun to be hated. So the question is, is when someone wants to rain on your parade, when someone hates you for your love for Christ, how do you keep going? Jesus has a call for us today regarding that. It's here in John as Jesus gets ready to die to rescue his, his people. He gives a message for his disciples who are going to need to persevere. So would, let's read that together. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? John chapter 15, verses eight, verse 18 all the way through 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, 
therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And have a seat. What are we to do? How are we to hang in there? How are they to hang in there? We who believe Jesus should persevere. If you've been a Christian more than a day, there is a time where Jesus wants you to trust him in the fallen world. The world that is not yet consummated in being restored. That's where we who believe Jesus need to persevere. So the question is, why do we need to persevere? Well, first of all, we need to persevere because the world hates those who trust Jesus. He says, if the world hates you, but then he goes on to talk as, as though it's reality. Why do they hate? <laughs> Have you ever wondered that? Why does the world hate? hate Christians. Jesus came to save and show God's love. He's the greatest man ever to beat all men. He comes with life and the best news, the gospel. He's good, totally good. Why would anyone hate him? Well, first, they hate him because they know Jesus isn't like them. Because he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know, for all the talk of diversity in our culture, this world sure does not like the diversity that Jesus brings. Why? Because he's different in the most fundamental way. He's fully human, yes, but he is fully God. And when God shows up in a fallen world, guess what? He, he exposes several objective realities about us. One, he shows that he's God, that we're, we're, we're not. Two, that he's holy and good and we're not even one one hundredth as good as we'd like to think. Three, he displays what true humanity is. True humanity 
listen to this, is sinless. If we're not truly sinless, guess what? There's something wrong in our humanity. Three, because of our sinfulness, our evil, God showing, God showing up exposes that we need rescue. That the world can't provide the rescue we really need. And the world can't stand that message when it thinks it doesn't need Jesus. It can't. And four, Jesus comes and overturns all these cultural traditions and customs that people have made into law. The world does not like to be told by God that their customs, their preferences are just those, customs and preferences. They're not on the same standard as his law. And we can see this in Jesus' life. When the Jews try to trap Jesus in what he says, when the crowd abandons him when he calls them to faith, not merely free food, and when he calls out hypocrisy among people who were supposed to love God's people but were leeching from them, they know Jesus isn't like them, so they hate him. And then second, for those who are our God's people who believe him, they hate because they know we look like Jesus. Because Jesus says in verse 19, if you were of the world, what? The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. When God rescues us, when we respond in trusting Christ and his finished work on the cross, you know what happens? We change identities. We used to be, our identity used to be of the world. Okay, before we go any further, what is the world Jesus is talking about? Well, here in this text, it can, it's applied to two groups. First, the first group is that this is the unbelieving Jews who are set against Jesus and his followers. These are the people who at this moment in Jesus' life are gathering a mob to come arrest him and eventually have him killed. But that group is a subgroup of a much larger group. The world is also the entirety of humanity that is in rebellion against God and his ways. Don Carson put it this way, he says, the world loves its own. This is not a social, sociological remark about inborn suspicion of strangers, but a moral condemnation. The world is a society of rebels and therefore finds it hard to tolerate those who are in joyful allegiance to the king to whom all loyalty is due. End quote. That change of allegiance, that change of identity is so profound that Scripture calls us new creatures, new creations in Christ. And when we exalt Christ and rest in our identity in Him, more than the world's categories of our tribe, our gender, or race, or socioeconomic class, used a lot of quotes there because words mean different things to different people apparently. 
When we don't exalt in those, but in, in Christ, guess what happens? The world hates us. But he does give a little glimmer of hope here. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Where were we before Jesus rescued us? We were in the world. That means it's possible for people to be brought out of the world from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light to have that change of identity. The world is not a closed system. We were brought out and others can be too. Third, and this might be the biggest, they hate because they don't know God. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Because of, our, of Jesus, our identity in him, that's what on account of me means. Because of him, the world hates and persecutes believers because they don't know God. And this isn't just the kind of knowing that's fixed by additional funding to public education. This is a whole person understanding, a trust, an embrace of God for who he is and what he's done. You look at anyone, and I mean anyone, and the way they live life, the way they think about things, even the way you live life and the way you think about things, and you will see that you believe something about God, whether true or false. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And when the world doesn't know him, they hate him and they hate his followers and his children because of it. While we're here, let me ask you the question, do you know him? They also hate because their guilt is exposed. This is amazing. Jesus says in verse 22, he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. We'll get there, okay, hang on. But now they have no excuse for their sin. And he goes on, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Okay, let's... What does it mean when Jesus says they would not have been guilty of sin if he had not come and spoken to them? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that they were condemnation-free before Jesus showed up. They had plenty of sins. But up to this point, this is fascinating, as Romans 3 verse 25 says, up to this point, God, in his divine forbearance, this is verse 25 in Romans 3, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That's crazy. God actually allowed the, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament to keep his wrath at bay so that at the right time Christ could die for the ungodly. That's amazing, amazing! The question wasn't whether someone was accountable for their sin or not. We always are. The question is whether they hoped in God's salvation, which is now revealed in Jesus and his work on the cross. 
Jesus has said this before, but he's be Jesus is the great point in human history of judgment or mercy. They're right together. And in order for judgment or mercy to be given, guess what? This is the fun part. Our guilt has to be exposed. We will not know our need for mercy if we don't know that we are guilty before a holy God. If we stand ashamed, naked, covered in filth of our own sin. Does anybody like to be exposed here? No. Especially by God, because we can't run from Him. We can't just move to another town. Nobody likes to be exposed. Jesus came to make it clear that we are messed up and we need rescue from our messed up state and the wrath of God that is upon us because of the, of the way we've messed up ourselves. But when that is offered, that mercy, and in Jesus Christ it is, it can be received or, in this case, it is rejected. What does God call it? Hatred of God. And there is no excuse for it. They, the world, participated in the fulfillment of Scripture they said they loved. Instead of hoping in the one in whom it was fulfilled. You ever tried to move a snapping turtle? Seems kind of random, doesn't it? There's a point to this. That's a snapping turtle. I was driving, I drove to the intersection of Road M and Road 11 the other day, and a guy was outside his truck with a stick, a pipe, trying to push a snapping turtle off the road. So I pulled over. I didn't have my phone, so I borrowed this from the internet. I was too excited. <laughs> And as I came over, guess what? I heard and I saw. I heard hissing. And guess what I saw? You know why he's called a snapping turtle? Yeah. It lays at the bottom of a lake, waiting for something to swim by. Boom! That thing can break bones. So this turtle is hissing and snapping at this guy who's trying to get, this guy, get the turtle off the road. So I told the guy, if he can keep the turtle focused on the pipe in front of him... Then I could grab it from behind. Well, the first attempt I did, I grabbed him, and well, guess what? Not just hissing, not just snapping. Claws! So I dropped him. I dropped him like hotcakes. So I finally got a good spot where I, where I could get him, and then we, then we maneuvered him off the road and got him closer to, closer to a ditch and in the grass. Why do I tell you this? It's really ridiculous. That that creature was so mad at us for trying to save his life. He could easily have been run over by a truck any moment. But instead, what did it do? It snapped, it hissed, it clawed, wanting its own way. And we were in his way. This is the world against Jesus and against those who trust in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, they want their own way. 
either not knowing that they are a turtle on a heavily used intersection not knowing the destructiveness of sin or God's wrath against sin or not caring as Frank Sinatra said I'll do it my way and you Christians and your God are in my way so they hate what this should do is evoke fervent prayer and compassion in our hearts and perseverance for such were we apart from Jesus and he loves them too the world hates those who trust in Jesus, but we who believe in Jesus should persevere. It's not just that, and here's the real reality, it's not just that he told us that the world is going to hate us if we trust Christ. In one sense, okay, we got a lay of the land, okay. But actually that makes it all the more intimidating, doesn't it? We can't just go Pollyanna through this life ignorant that the world is not, not a fan of the message that we carry. So how do we persevere through that? Why do we need to persevere? Number two, God has given us what we need to persevere. We persevere and we can and should persevere because God has given what we need. Well, what has he given? Well, look with me, if you would, at, the, at verse 26, starting in verse 26. He's given us several things for us to persevere. And if these don't help us across the finish line, nothing will. First, look at what he gives. He gives the, his Holy Spirit. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. <laughs> we are not left alone to persevere on our own in this life. Because the reality is, if you and me, if it were up to us to persevere to keep our salvation, we wouldn't do it. The second our spouse said something that just tipped the scales one little bit, we'd be gone. If our kids acted up in church, we might be gone. Who are we given to help us persevere? The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God Himself is given to his church and when we believe he comes and dwells in us. We, we, there's, we can't understand this fully, but it's reality. And when he does come in us, he does a couple of things from who he is. What is he called here? But when the helper comes, that means he's designed, he, he comes to come alongside us to help us to something. And he's also called the spirit of truth. What does that mean? He's the representative of what's really real. 
This is God's world. Not the world of haters of God. They don't actually own it. Creation does not belong to them. And the truth is that God rules over all. And he rules over even the hatred faced by his beloved children. What else? He also proceeds from the Father. He's God. Again, you can't get higher help than this. Someone to come alongside you to help you persevere. Philippians says in chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, Paul said, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you have God dwelling in you, you have what you need to persevere. Who you need to persevere. But the Holy Spirit is himself the means that God gives us of another help of persevering, as if that weren't enough. Secondly, he gives us the gospel. Look at what the Holy Spirit proclaims here in verse 26. He proceeds from the Father, and he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. What does the Holy Spirit bear witness about? Who does he bear witness about? Christ. Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ Put it this way, is the gospel. He's the good news from the Father. The heart and center of the message that we are on pilgrimage in this world to proclaim. What is the good news? Jesus Christ, yes, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who has come to save us from our spiritual death, our wickedness and our condemnation and shame before God. How does he do this? By dying in our place and rising to new everlasting life that is then promised to us. There's more, but there's not less. Now pay attention to this. Holy Spirit comes and what does he do? He will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit has not come to make much of us. He has not come to give us superpowers so that the world can be in awe of us. No, he came, comes to make much of Jesus Christ. And guess what? That is our role and purpose as well. Verse 27, and you, will also, you also will bear witness. This is telling the gospel, bearing witness. And it's also telling the of how Jesus has used the gospel to transform us. See, we've been given a story. We call it in, in church land, a testimony. We've been given a testimony of the working of Christ in our lives. And Jesus' disciples here, because you have been with me from the beginning, they got this witness firsthand. And we have a witness by heeding their teaching and lives that were so dramatically changed by this man, Jesus, this God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, who bears his witness through us. Every year over the world, boys and girls get adopted. Maybe not as many as we'd like, but some do. 
Do you know what adoption is among many things? It's being given a new story. When you and I hear the gospel and Jesus rescues us and we believe that our adoption into the family of God is real, that God is now our heavenly father and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are given a gospel part in God's story and we are able to persevere because he gives us the gospel. And the gospel leads us to the third thing that God uses to help us persevere. He gives us his church. Listen to this. Verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you thinks they will be offering service to God. I don't know if it was terrifying for them, but it's terrifying to read this and see that this, is, this in part is played out across the world. Christians who convert from Islam, they face disownment and possible vengeance seeking by their families. One of the worst things in a person's life is to be disowned by family, to be shamed by community, shunned as a blameworthy pariah. And Jesus says of Christians, this can happen to you, even to the point where someone would kill you and believe they're doing whatever God they believe in a service by getting you out of the way. But guess what, in this text, there's something even worse than that. Did you catch it? I have said all these things to you, verse 27, to keep you from falling away. For someone who claims to be a Christian and then drops Christ when the stakes get high enough for them, we see that happening. That's one, of the, that's one of parents' chief concerns when a kid graduates from high school, that they're gonna go to college and they're gonna fall away. How do we persevere? Well, I'm convinced through scripture that you who truly believe Jesus, you will heed what is here. And you will heed his gifts to help you persevere. And one of the gifts, I don't know if you saw it, did, did you see the gift in what I just read? It's the word you. You plural, meaning not only you, the individual, have a relationship with Jesus Christ and are saved, but you, plural, are now part of a body of brothers and sisters in Christ who navigate this life together, on mission together, who persevere together. You have a spiritual family, a body, a community where you belong 
And you still belong when you're kicked out of the synagogue, when you're no longer welcome in your club, or with your group of friends, or have the approval of your drinking buddies. It's the church who encourages us to stay faithful. It's the church who encourages us to keep walking with Jesus when we are dismissed, rejected, censored, or even when our family gets gunned down in Nigeria because terrorists decided to wipe out the Christians in that village. It's not so remote as it might seem. God has given us what we need to persevere. He's given us one thing more. He gives us his Holy Spirit, his gospel, his church, and fourthly, he gives us his word. And they will do these things, verse three, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Okay, little pop quiz. Where do we get the gospel, church? Well, from church, you might say. Well, okay, but how do you know that I'm preaching the right one? I don't want you to doubt me. But how do you verify? What's, what's the source by which I must submit, by which every Christian and every person who claims to be a Christian must submit their gospel? Well, yes, the Word of God incarnate. Here! The gospel is told to us here. The apostles were used of God to make writing to tell us what the gospel is. Where do you know what the person in the work of the Holy Spirit is like? Where are we told that the world will hate us because it hated Jesus first? Where are we told how we are able to persevere and, it's not in this text, but what awaits because we do persevere? His word. The word of God tells us the gospel and many things that confirm his gospel. These disciples received Jesus' word because they received the Old Testament because it was already there, not because Jesus made something up on the spot. They could verify that Jesus really was fulfilling Scripture, that they really did hate him without cause, as verse 25 said. And yes, Bill was right. It was in, G is also in Jesus, the word of God in the flesh, where the disciples could verify yes. As it says in verse 4, their hour had come where it seemed like the world and Satan had won the day when Jesus hung on the cross. And they could remember that afterward that the word of God in the flesh had told them that this would happen so that they would not fall away because they did know God unlike the unbelieving world. God has given us what we need to persevere. Therefore, we who believe Jesus should persevere. So in one sense, yes, it does stink to be hated as a Christian. 
God doesn't tell us, oh, it'll be fine, just pretend that stuff didn't happen. No! Hatred of Christians is just as hatred of Christ is real. He also doesn't tell us, oh, you're in York, Nebraska? The hatred of the world won't get you there. Do not be deceived, church. We don't need to go looking for hatred. But the question is, a question is, are we living the new life that God has given us and being unashamed of the gospel such that should hatred come, we are seen for who we really are in Christ? Or are we just merely disliked because of our political party affiliation? Or what sports team we like or not? Are we trusting what he says that should it come, we don't need to be surprised? And actually, when it does come, that we not only are not surprised, but that we can encourage each other to persevere. For God does tell us that the hatred is real. But he also tells us that light overcomes darkness. That he's given us what we need to persevere through it, even if that means we get to the Lord's presence sooner than others. We who believe Jesus should persevere. Let's pray.